Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, March 8th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are finishing our 14-week study on Lifeline's Statement of Faith, and today we're looking at the 13th statement that rounds out the Statement of Faith, and this statement involves personhood, sex, and gender. And you know, when our team put together our annual Bible study uh, lessons and our, and our schedule We had no idea where we would be at this time as a country, as a nation, and as a world. Even this last week, the U.S. Senate was hearing from Rachel Levine to be the nominee for the Health and the Human Services uh, Deputy Director. And Rachel is a transgendered man who has been in Massachusetts and has been handling so many issues. And while certainly the confirmation process was more about the way that this doctor worked in Massachusetts, also what came out is that she would be the very first transgendered person that would work as a part of a president's cabinet. Also, we've seen over the last several months so many different executive orders that are gone to help transgendered people that are transgendered acts to allow men to compete in women's sports and and, and men and women to, to truly see gender as not a God-assigned uh, station, but as something that is a human construct. We've seen increased government funding of abortion in the U.S. and abroad, and not just the Mexico City Act or the Hyde Amendment being uh, uh, repealed, but we have seen increased attention placed upon abortion services in and throughout the United States and abroad, where now U.S. taxpayers are actually paying for abortion procedures around the world. And then as well in the Senate was brought to light the Equality Act, an act that was placed there by the current administration that passed through the the House of Representatives on almost a complete party line and now goes to the Senate. This act would allow so many different things, but it really aimed at Christian ministries and even churches and the way they choose membership, the way they work, and their statements of faith. Everything in this culture is warring against God as the creator of life. And that's why it's so important that as a ministry, Lifeline has this 13th statement in our statement of faith, which is this, that we believe God is the creator of all life and that every person is created in his image. And at the moment of conception, a new human life is created with a sovereignly ordained sex of either male or female. And so as we look at this last statement from the statement of faith, I want us to be reminded of our great need for the Lord individually and corporately. You see, in today's culture, this one statement might be the one that is the most debated, the most hated, the most scorned, and the most deluded. And it's just not popular culture to say this. But also, unfortunately, even within the church, 
This has become a diluted and debated and unpopular position. This is the statement that will get you and me and all of us labeled as non-progressive fundamentalist. But chocked full, this statement tells us so many important yet counter-cultural truths. And the first truth that we see in this statement is that God is the author of life. You see, beloved, life is not a mistake, but a sovereign, unique, and distinct creation of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. God is the author of life. He is the one that offered life, that created life. He is the one that determines when a life should end and when a life should begin. But the second true statement that we see that's so countercultural is not only is life created by God, but it was created in his image. You see, we all bear the marks of our creator. Not only was life created by God, but it was created in his image. And that's important because when we understand that we're made in his image, we understand that we are to mimic him. We are to look like him. And in this culture and in this world, we are so autonomous that we don't want anyone to say that we are to look this way, be this way, act this way, operate this way. We want complete autonomy. And to be created in the image of God means that God created you for a purpose. Your life is not your own. But the third truth we see in this statement that is true, but oh, so countercultural is this, that life has begun at conception and knit together from the moment of conception by the creator. This means, therefore, that abortion is not a woman's right to choose. It's not an act of convenience, but it's a murderous affront to a holy God. The psalmist says, I knit you together in your mother's womb before any of your days were ordained. I knew you. Life begins at conception. And we are absolutely wrong if we believe that we have the capacity, that we have the ability to to call life sacred and life unsacred. All life is sacred because it is created by God and begun at conception. And then the fourth truth we see from this statement is that gender is not a social construct, but a purposeful gift of God given at conception by God. No, gender is not some non-binary idea that culture comes up with. No, gender, sex, is created by God, for God, for His purpose. It's a gift, and ultimately, it's a part of the gospel. So even as we see these statements, we probably have great passion about each of these statements. And many of us can even begin to feel animus against anyone who lives or believes contrary to these foundational statements. Yet at the offset of digging into these statements, I want to beg us to first examine our own hearts. And as we examine our hearts, let us pray that the Lord will give us hearts full of compassion for those who are shamelessly seeking abortion. Let us look with empathy on those who are confused about their gender. May we grow in passion to help those who see their life as worthless, see that they are created in the image of God. And let us pray that humanity will understand that life is the gift of God.
Paul says this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor junkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Unfortunately, as Christians, we like to look at this list and see those sins that we don't struggle with and highlight them as those of higher condemnation. And conversely, we like to look at the same list and see those sins that define us and assign them of extreme minor guilt. The truth of the matter is there's not a single one of us that can't say that we haven't been sexually immoral. There's not a single one of us who can't say that we haven't at times been idolaters. There's, there's not a single one of us who can't say that we've never been a thief or greedy or a drunkard or a reveler or a swindler. And just like in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus came on the Mount of Olives and, and looked and he said, you may not have done this outwardly, but what you have done in your heart was seen by God and was offense by God. Every lustful look, every time that we wanted to, to steal something, every time that we had greed and looked down upon someone else and what they had, every time that we overindulged in the creation as opposed to in God, every time that we created animus and every time we came with hostility and every time that we stole the glory of God. Oh, beloved, the list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it explains all of us. Paul reminds the Corinthian believers living in a culture much, much like the culture we live in, that this is who we were before we were washed, sanctified, and justified by the Lord Jesus. Therefore, as we look at our biblical stance on personhood, abortion, sex, and gender, let us be spurred on to gospel action, love, compassion, and proclamation. To understand all of these topics, we must go back to the design. When you want to understand how something works, you go back to the original designer. Whenever Jesus was asked in the Gospels questions about personhood, marriage, gender, or life, he drew people back to Genesis and the ultimate design of God. This is what Genesis, starting in verse 26 of chapter 1, says, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We see days one through five were very impersonal. God made the light and the atmosphere, the dry ground and the plants, the sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, and the sea animal. Each day had astounding order and purpose. After all creation was spoken into existence, God was not finished. While creation was perfectly good, wonderfully beautiful, and exceedingly awe-inspiring, 
It was not complete. Days one through five of God's creative work brought distinct and purposeful order. For instance, vegetation was not created until the mechanisms had been created to sustain them. Light, soil, and water. Animals did not begin to roam until they had the vegetation to sustain them. God's world was orderly, purposeful, and grand. Before man was made, spellbounding canyons existed to be explored. Mountains like the Himalayas beckoned to be climbed by something more than a billy goat or an elk. Rivers, streams, and lakes littered all of creation, waiting to be forged. God's creation was enjoyable, pleasurable, and good. Yet still something was missing. Creation needed a caretaker, an explorer, and a worshiper. What the Creator wanted was someone who would enjoy the goodness of creation along with Him. He needed an image bearer. The imprint of God's nature, image, and likeness was placed upon man. While all of creation echoed the praise and pointed to our great God, only man would be the representative of God. Man was the crown of creation set in place to do the work of God by naming the animals, tilling the soil, and tending to creation. Man was also set in place to lead creation into the exaltation of her creator. Man was the leader of worship who was to point continually to all of creation and to point that creation back to God. We see here that life and gender are created by God for man's good and God's glory. Man had incredible freedom, important responsibility, and inordinate adventure. And yet man needed a friend and he needed a companion. You see in Genesis 1 and 2, the common refrain was, and God saw it and it was good. Then you see in Genesis chapter 2, for the first time in scripture, that something is labeled as less than stellar. Picking up in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We see in this passage the design for marriage and the design for specific gender. Marriage was designed to be a gift and a blessing. Marriage was to be a place of flourishing and blessing. And first, we see that it is a gift of God. Verse 22, we actually see that God says he brought her to man. God brought Eve to Adam. Like a daddy walking his daughter down the aisle to the groom, God brings woman to man as a gift. The gift and the difference in woman is so stark that man breaks out into song and rejoicing in verse 23. And this song and rejoicing is not because another man, a gender binary man, had been brought to him. The singing and rejoicing is because this is someone who completes man. This is someone who is different than man. This is somebody who is unique and special and awe-inspiring. 
This is God's perfect creation. Woman. You see in verse 23, he doesn't say, oh, this is another man. This is a woman. This is different. Oh, beloved, we see marriage and gender is a gift of God. But second, we see that both man and woman are unique and filled with equal value and worth. Verse 20 says, a helper was not found, which was suitable for man. In today's culture, we think the Bible is the meaning of women. But this word helper simply means that the woman possessed something that the man did not have. Think about it. To help someone means you have a resource, you have a gift, or you have knowledge that that other person is lacking. Many were lacking, and God gave man someone to help him. Woman actually models what God does for his people. He helps them. Over and over throughout Scripture, God is also referred to as man's helper. And so in this sense, woman is an image bearer of God, bears the image of God as our helper. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Woman was man's helper, and biblically this connotes strength, not weakness. But the third thing we see in this passage about the design of marriage and gender, that there was a perfect fit. Man and woman are a corresponding counterpart. Gender is not some non-binary social construct but it's a gift of Almighty God, each with perfect distinction used together in magnificent harmony to the praise and admonition of the Lord. God says who we are, man and woman. This is not generic, but distinct. We are different, which makes marriage interesting, but it also sharpens us, shapes us, and makes us more like Christ. Because there was a perfect fit made by God, he gave unity and completion. And unity didn't mean the physical activity of sex. It meant that God brought unity socially. Man and woman as friends. Different, but complementing one another. Unity financially, where they're sharing the same resources. They're taking care of one another. And then spiritual unity where they're able to worship the Lord with their unique giftings and their unique unique makeup. Beloved, God created man and woman uniquely and with great purpose. And this should cause us much delight. I love what Dr. David Platt, pastor at McLean Bible Church and founder and president of Radical Ministry says. He says, God created men and women with equal dignity. Both men and women created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, as representatives of God. Man, not superior to woman. Woman, not superior to man. Any man who belittles a woman is violating the design of God. And any woman who disparages a man is undercutting the beautiful design of God. Men and women created by God with equal dignity. At the same time, created with different roles. Roles that don't call into question one's dignity or worth in any way. Furthermore, beloved, marriage and gender is a gospel reenactment. We were a terrible spouse towards the Lord. We wanted his things, but we didn't want him. We break promises. We race after other lovers. And yet God doesn't quit pursuing us. And he never stops running after us. And in the end, 
God loves us and marries us, not because of our value, not because we're beautiful, not because we're lovely, but because he wants to give us his worth and he wants to give us his value so that he can ultimately make us lovely without spot or blemish. We have a marriage to Jesus and he will never leave us or forsake us. So brothers and sisters, this statement from our faith statement is crucial because men and women each have a part of God's image and is complete when the two are unified. This statement is foundational because we believe life was created by God for God at conception. And so beloved, in a world of gender confusion, rampant abortion, hopelessness, and disbelief in God's creation, we must speak of the gospel and we must speak of our great husband and father. It is his design. And this design is what's meant for human flourishing. The truth of the matter is the reason that we have orphans, the reason that we have broken families. This is we have altered, we have run away from God's design. Many people want to say that this statement in statement 13 about abortion and and about gender and about being made in the image of God, well, this is just too controversial. Just don't touch it. It's too controversial. It's not tertiary. It's secondary. It's not primary. It's not something that we should split hairs over. But beloved, here's what I want us to know. We can't understand the gospel if we don't understand God's design. God designed man, created in his image, male and female, life sacred, life sovereign before the fall of man. This was God's way. So the gospel is all about remaking us into the original design of God. And so if we don't get that, then we don't get the gospel. And so I want us to see 10 things that the gospel tells us about sexuality that we should take to this culture in hopes that they will ultimately be betrothed to Christ. First, our bodies are wonderfully and intimately made by God. Psalm 139, 13 through 6, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Her bodies are wonderfully and intimately made by God. There are no accidents. There are no worthless people. Only wonderfully and intimately made by God. But second, we are ultimately created for God. We are not created for ourselves. We are not created for our own pleasure. We are not created as autonomous beings. We were created for God. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But what is the body meant for? For the Lord and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Oh, we were ultimately created for God. But then third, we, were, we are supernaturally designed by God to be satisfied in Him and Him alone. 
We cannot be satisfied in stuff. We cannot be satisfied in other relationships. We cannot be satisfied in our own worldview. We cannot be satisfied in anything that this world has to offer. We can only find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. The psalmist says in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul, soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Oh, we were supernaturally designed by God to be satisfied by him alone. But then number four, we are sexually defined by God for our good and for the gospel. Ephesians tells us after this great diatribe that Paul has about marriage, he ends with, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, the mystery is profound. And I am saying that this refers to Christ and the church. Men and women, defined by God for our good, but ultimately for gospel proclamation. We were made men and women, brought together in the covenant relationship of marriage to represent Christ in the church. We're living out a gospel representation. But then, fifth, it's important that we realize that every one of us is prone to, to sexual confusion, deviation, and rebellion against God. Romans reminds us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Genesis 3, 1-7 was a war on gender, marriage, and the design of God. God told man the rules of the garden in Genesis 2, 17 before woman was created. And so as the temptation, the fall of man occurs, we see that man failed to lovingly lead his wife. And ultimately, they both left confused, deviating from God's commands, and rebellious. Oh, every one of us is prone to sexual confusion, deviation, and rebellion against God. Oh, none of us stand pure before a holy God. But then sixth, we're all guilty of sexual sin, which separates us from God. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. Oh, beloved, when we fail to utilize everything that God has given us in our body and in our faculties for the glory of God, we are guilty. And again, remembering the Sermon on the Mount, when we lust, when we, when we manipulate, when we dominate, we are guilty of sexual sin. And that ultimately separates us from God. But number seven, we desperately need to be reconciled to God. David, after he was caught in the greater of the sexual sins that he committed in his life, he says this in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We desperately need to be reconciled to God. We are lost without God. We are hopeless. We are in turmoil without reconciliation to God. But then number eight, Jesus made the way for all to experience restoration in relationship. Romans 5, 7-8, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still idolatrous, while we were still warring against him, while we were still deviating against his design, while we were still against him and at odds with him. Christ died for us to give us relationship with God the Father. Jesus made a way for all of us to experience restoration. But then ninth, about the gospel and sexuality, Jesus allows us to enjoy our ultimate identity in God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 2 through 4, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus allows us to joy, enjoy our true and ultimate identity, which is in God. And last but certainly not least, number 10, because of all of this, we preach the gospel. The gospel. If you reject God in this life, it means you will reject life and be separated from him for all time. But the good news is this. If you repent, you trust God and his design as your true life, then you will have life and you will have it abundantly. In Mark's gospel, chapter one, see that John the Baptist was arrested. Jesus comes into Galilee after this arrest and he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark's gospel says in verse 14, and then verse 15 quotes, Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Beloved, God is the author of life. God created us in his image. Life begins at conception. And gender is not a social construct, but a purposeful gift of God. And to all who live in opposition to this, we must preach the gospel with grace and with wisdom. So in conclusion, children from hard places, trauma-informed backgrounds and vulnerability, vulnerable families, vulnerable women, They need stability. They need the stability of life. They need the stability of gender. And they need the stability of an image that only the gospel can give. And so as a ministry at Lifeline, we will not back down from our statement of faith or from any individual statement. We won't do this in order to secure a government grant. We won't do this in order to be relevant to the culture. We won't do this because of coercion or pressure but we will stand on the solid truth of God's word. I've talked to many 
who said that they believe that the statement that we discussed today is, is just too difficult. It's just too divisive. And they don't want to split hairs on a minor belief that isn't that important in the grand scheme. They say it's not, it's not good that we can't work together because of this one difference. Now, I, I do agree that it's not good when believers divide, but I couldn't disagree more that this statement on sexuality and life is minor. It's not minor. It's foundational. This statement on personhood, sex, and gender is not one of minor importance, but one of upward importance. Because when we war against the design of God, we war against God. We can't understand the gospel and what the gospel means if we don't understand God's design. When we look at God and we think he made accidents because of gender, or when we look at God and think that he isn't the author of life, that was just a suggestion. How will we ever trust our life with him fully in the gospel of Christ Jesus? And so at Lifeline, we will believe, trust, and rely upon God and his design for all things. As humans, we construct things which are made to satisfy our wants and our needs. But at Lifeline, we live, we work, and serve for the glory and the pleasure of the Lord. And that informs everything that we do. Thanks for joining us today for the Defender Bible Study. We're excited about next week when we start our study on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. But in the meantime, this week, we are praying for the country of China. We're praying for our in-country team, especially during the lockdowns of COVID-19. We pray for their continued health and safety. And we pray that the Lord would uh, continue to grow them in the gospel or that they would come to know Jesus during this time. We pray for stamina for families who are going through the tedious paperwork process and the travel delays and consulate closing. We're praying for emotional energy for our U.S. team as they minister daily to these anxious families. We pray for continued favor with the CCCWA and for the new director that he will maintain a favorable stance on adoption between the U.S. and China. We pray for our ability to clearly communicate the gospel to all that we come in contact with. We pray for the opportunity to host kids camps and after school programs in the future. We pray for China to open its borders to U.S. families. We pray for continued ease to the tension currently between the U.S. and Chinese governments. We pray for all of the children currently living in orphanages and foster homes in China. We pray for families to come who want to adopt from China and we'll, we'll go ahead and start that process anticipating the reopening of travel. We praise God for the continued movement of paperwork through the China process. And we praise him for the 36 children that were matched in 2020 and the families that have already been matched in 2021. We praise God for all of our team and for all that he is doing in the country of China. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to work in the country of China. We just ask that the spirit would soften the hearts of those who are setting policy for COVID-19. We pray for President Xi Jinping, that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him stamina. Lord God, that you would soften his heart and soften his mind to travel into his people. We ask that you would help the relations between the U.S. and China to ease and the tension to ease. We ask that the CCCWA, the Central Authority in China, would continue to have 
help find favor with Lifeline and help us to continue to work with kids and after school programs and kids camps and matching and helping kids with special needs and doing trainings throughout the country of China. We ask that, that Lord, you would just continue to allow us to have favor even through this long wait and this long period of closure resulting from COVID-19. We pray for all the families that are waiting. We pray that you would be with them and surround them with your love, give them compassion. Lord God, that you would show them your way. God, that you would be with them, protect them, give them peace, give them just a calm, peaceful spirit. Lord, for our team here at Lifeline, I praise you for these women and men who love these families and love these children. I pray you continue to use them in special ways in the lives of these children. God, I pray that you would give them stamina. I pray that you would just emotionally prepare them to help these families and these children. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing even during this shutdown. For the 36 children matched in 2020 and the abundant amount of children that have already been matched in 2021. Oh Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to work in this nation. And I ultimately pray that you would be made known in China that your glory and gospel would be spread throughout China. And Lord God, that you would use us for your glory, for your gospel. And it's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music